Support for MPB comes from the Mississippi Museum of Art in Jackson. What Became of Dr. Smith by artist Noah Satterstrom is on view now through September 22, 2024. Learn more at msmuseumart.org. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. Hi, thanks for tuning into the Arts Hour. I'm Larry Morrissey with the Mississippi Arts Commission, and this is the Arts Commission's weekly turn at the microphone here at MPB. We're here in studio with our producer, Kevin Farrell, silent hand uh, behind the board, helping us out. And today we're going to be talking about music and the music life with our guest, Jerry Brooks. Jerry, welcome. Thank you. I appreciate it. Well, Jerry, you are a... uh, Jackson area musician, and uh, you're a member of the Arts Commission's artist roster. You also uh, uh, recently uh, received a artist fellowship from the Arts Commission, so congratulations on that. That was just awarded. So. Thanks so much. I was uh, honored to get that. That was uh, a really nice thing, and uh, it'll be used wisely. Well, we're going to talk a little bit more about that <laughs> later on, but for people who aren't familiar with you, t- tell a little a bit of just give us an overview kind of like what kind of music you do and and where people might have seen you well um and it goes way back but uh i basically uh, stay within the americana genre and uh i've done everything from bluegrass up to rock and roll and blues in between and <laughs> what have you but uh we uh started uh, with me playing guitar in Jackson and then, um, you know, kind of uh, neighborhood outfits and everything, learning how to bang on an acoustic guitar. Uh, and it's went on and on and on and uh, played with uh, various different people around the country and everything. Uh, we had a big uh, show place here called Marnie's that I played at. Uh, backed up a bunch of different uh, artists and everything. So uh, that was one of the bigger things. But I've been around Jackson all my life. And some of the groups that you've played with uh, include the Vernon Brothers and name a few off for people. Uh, yeah, they, um, <clears throat> my current band is a Cricket Creek String Band. It's uh-huh. uh, pretty much straight bluegrass and newgrass type stuff. I play with uh, a guy that's a bass player named Jack Beal as a two-piece thing, and uh, we're playing, matter of fact, tomorrow night. And uh, Vernon Brothers, uh, I'm on my second stint with the Vernon Brothers now. And uh, we've done various bands before that. One of them was the Dog Band. Uh, Then we had a group called Delta Breeze way on back. Uh, That's just a lot of them back there. That's some names of some bands that we started with that I can't even remember. <laughs> <laughs> it's been so long. Yeah. Now, so you got started, you grew up here in Jackson, right? I did. And your uh, kind of origin point maybe goes back to, as a musician, goes back to grade school, or I think you were telling me yesterday? I started learning how to play music when my parents stuck me in uh, piano lessons. Oh, no. <laughs> Yeah, that was uh, before I was 10 years old. Uh, you know, I kind of uh, always had an ear for music, but I hated to read the stuff. I never could get the hang of reading. still don't. And um, act, uh, the piano went on for a little while and everything. started singing, you know, a very little bit with the piano. And then uh, the rock and roll 
sort of guys from the 50s and early 60s hit me. That's when the neighborhood guys said, well, hey, my mom's got a guitar. So we kind of banged around on this old Silvertone archtop guitar for a while. I knew what chord structure was from piano, just, you know, listening to it. But uh, um, that uh, was the beginning of the situation. And uh, then uh, guitar, uh, after a while, figured out that there were some uh, different types of music on television. And that was... uh, probably in the first days of videotapes. Um, and uh, a group called Lester Flat and Earl Scruggs uh, was out there and saw those guys. And then there was Jim and Jesse and the Virginia Boys. And I said, hmm, this banjo seems pretty cool and everything. So I started trying to figure out about getting one. I got an old cheap silver tone. Uh, couldn't tune it, couldn't play it. <laughs> it had a calfskin head, and every time it got cold, the calfskin head would sink in, and you could not play it. You had to sprinkle water on it, hold it over by the heating source. The head would, uh, you know, tighten up. Mm-hmm. Everything would work then. But um, uh, that was early days, um, and there was a radio disc jockey here on uh let me see, what was the name of that? I think it's WJXN, the country, country colonel. Got him, Hal Harris. And uh, he played guitar and banjo, and he would always play banjo music on his show. I remember his theme song was, uh, um, let me see, uh, it's by the Dillards. Um, and the, let me see, it was called Doug's Tune. Yeah. And, uh, I like that. I called the guy up <laughs> on the telephone back when you can call up radio disc jockeys doing live and everything. I said, hey, my name's Jerry. I want to learn how to play that. And uh, he said, well, I've got this banjo. Come on down to the radio station. And uh, How old were you at this point? 12, 13. Oh, wow. Okay. And uh, so uh, went down there, and he had this banjo, and I had this old crappy instrument and everything. He said, you got to get something better than that. Um, I said, well, that cost money. And uh, so uh, he showed me several things that were pretty much straight on. You know, he was a very good instructor type of stuff, showed me all the right-hand roles. Um, he had a brother that was a country music legend named Boots Harris. He was the first steel player for uh, Hank Williams. And, uh, you know, Boots kind of showed me chords and chord theory. You know, what's the difference between a major and a minor chord? Boy, I don't know. Well, this is it. <laughs> type of deal. So, uh, that, uh, so you that would was, go back down to the radio station or would you start taking lessons with them or how did that work? I'd go to the radio station when he was on the air live. And uh, he would take a break uh, after his show. We'd go into the front room and sit there and play. And him being a guitar player and a banjo player, uh, he could play rhythm guitar behind me when I was learning how to play that. And that's when I started figuring out the thumb and finger style of the guitar, like one of the songs uh, here. Um, Because, you know, he was a Merle Travis kind of copy guy and everything. So yeah. uh, so that guy put me on the straight path of uh, the uh, musical industry and how to play. So 
That's great. Uh, for those of you just tuning in, uh, this is the Arts Hour. I'm Larry Morrissey, and today our guest is Jerry Brooks. He's a musician. He's a member of the Arts Commission's artist roster, plays all around the state, playing acoustic music. Um, so were there other kids your age that were interested in in bluegrass and country music, or was had the Beatles just kind of taken over at that well, point? Well, this was before the Beatles. Okay. Um, just a little bit before the Beatles, uh, and they were interested in the 50s rock and roll, other guys in the neighborhood. They was listening to folks like Jimmy Reed and some of the those guys. Um, and the, the, the genre around Jackson back then was uh, basically coming out of uh, different places around there's uh, different clubs around that played music and everything. I was too young to get in the things, but uh, some of the guys that uh, I gleaned on to uh, was people like Bob Saxton, um, a excellent Chet Atkins copy guy, and he ended up on the Grand Ole Opry for a while. Um, and uh, that, uh, there was a fellow that was from Canton. And lives in Nashville now. His name's Bucky Barrett. Bucky was my influence on guitar a great deal. Showed me a lot of different styles on the guitar, um, and really made me more adept at music theory. Um, Bucky could really play, and uh, he ended up being Roy Orbison's band leader for a number of years. And we're still friends. I could talk to him, email him. Pretty much every other day. Oh wow! So uh, you, you you got to go down and play um, with these guys in the at the radio station, right? When did you kind of were you able as a teenager then to kind of get up and perform somewhere, or what? How did you take what you learned and yeah, move on? Yeah, um, the uh, brothers, the Harris brothers, had a TV show. They cut the thing every Saturday afternoon, and they invited me to come out and guest on that thing. So they would bring me on and uh, stick me in front of a microphone with the banjo, and I'd play. Uh, and I wish I had some videotapes of that. Man, that was uh, that was an experience. But walking into a TV station with cameras uh, and say, "Here it is, play," and it was really intimidating. So uh, you know that. Uh, would happen. They would have local gigs around the area and invite me out. We'd do that. Um, and then some of the other people that I was around at that particular time would have different things going on. They would have live appearances and I'd go show up at those things. You know, it's just kind of a, a learning type deal to where you are learning how to get on stage and what to do when you get there and play without just having, you know, your wit scared out of you. So you were kind of being mentored by these guys, not just at the lessons, but kind of showing you how to be, become a performer as well. That's right. What kind of lessons did you learn from those? I mean, these guys were, some of them sound like pretty seasoned professionals. Well, uh, they were. Uh, one thing I learned early on, and it's still true to these days, we're all in this together. So don't be scared. <laughs> you know, everybody has been there. And uh, so it it kind of got to where I was more at ease in front of a camera or a microphone. So uh, it it was uh, uh, probably about a three-year experience of 
playing with those guys. And, um, yeah, it, it kind of got uh, a little bit easier after a good while and everything. I wouldn't get all tensed up and nervous before any kind of a show. So uh, then those days kind of morphed into playing with different people around here, you know, with uh, different people of your age. Yeah, finally you kind of get in there. And and, and so did you is, – is this at the point where you kind of – moved over to kind of do more kind of rock and soul stuff or were you playing bluegrass with uh contemporaries well um the the timeline goes between me learning how to play the banjo and these guys the harrises had connections at uh wsm in nashville they said go up there and meet grant turner you know tell them we said come and everything and uh you know different people like that and uh, so, how old are you at this point doing this? I'm about thirteen, going on fourteen. Okay. And uh, parents take you up there. Uh, I walk into WSM, stick my hand out, and tell them hi. You know, uh, Hal Harris sent me. Oh, how's Hal doing? Yeah, all the uh, niceties and everything. He sent me up here to play. You know, and uh, so within about a week, um, I was playing. You know, there uh, got, you know, aired live on WSM. Uh, and uh, that kind of was really a thing that I had to, you know, take a hold of myself because that was a scary radio That's station. Big time, that, yeah. That big time. Yeah. So uh, uh, I decided that, uh, you know, just for myself, hey, um, you know, I want to I do this full time, you mm-hmm. know, and uh, quit school to do it. Mom says, no way. <laughs> you know, so, uh, and uh, I, I kind of got all, you know, uh, sort of uh, perturbed about that and everything and put the instruments down for probably about six months and everything. But during that time of uh, high school, uh, ran into people in high school that was playing rock and roll out on the circuit. And uh, hmm, this is good. <laughs> and, uh, you know, the music, you know, kind of grabbed a hold of me, so we did that. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. We're back on the Arts Hour. I'm Larry Morrissey with the Arts Commission, and today our guest is Jerry Brooks. He's a member of the Arts Commission's artist roster, acoustic musician who plays all around the state, uh, based here in central Mississippi. Uh, so, Jerry, before the break, we were kind of hearing about your early days, your youngest days as a bluegrass musician, which kind of then you kind of moved, took a sidestep into some other stuff. Sure. Um, the uh, rock and roll thing kind of hit me then. And uh, uh, kind so of, this is like your 14, 15 or something, or, um, right? Or? Yeah, around 15 or so, Okay. Um, you know, in high school. Uh, and, uh, that, uh, uh, kind of took a hold of me. Uh, I never heard or tried to copy any of the Beatles songs till about 1967, but we were doing, uh, more blues oriented stuff back then. Um, and you know, uh, the, the guys that I was, pl- that I was playing with, uh, said, look, you need to start playing lead guitar. And, you know, uh, a guy named Larry Captain uh, was one of the guys that I was playing with in the band with Chalmers Davis. Don't even remember the name of that band, but uh, that's the the rock 
element there started. Um, the, uh, the, the various bands that were out there at that time were the Gants and had a friend in high school whose brother was a bass player for the Gants. So, and the Gants um, were, uh, I, I originally from Greenwood, is that Greenwood, right? Greenwood, Mississippi. But had, had some, had some chart success and toured nationally. So they, oh, yeah. Yeah, they were, they were a nationally recognized band at that point. Yeah. One of their big hits was a Roadrunner. And, um, of course, I got to uh, get involved with that um, with uh, Terry Montgomery. And um, that was kind of the rock and roll thing. The bluegrass deal with the banjo was still in the back of my head, and I knew how to sing harmony by then. So we'd form little bands here and there and go play, you know, with uh party somewhere. <laughs> Your friends would say, hey, come over, I'm having a party, or would you... Were you no, they you... would hire us to okay. uh, play at, uh, say, the Clinton pool party. Oh, okay, or, like uh, a community pool or something. Right. Yeah. Uh, we'd go set up our amps out by the pool and sit back far enough so nobody gets splashed and electrocuted uh. and everything. Uh, and uh, we would book stuff like the country clubs um, down south Mississippi. Uh, it was place in Brookhaven that we played a whole lot um, and just played out and out rock and roll. And they had a thing back then called the Battle of the Bands that uh, Chalmers and I and uh, uh, several people uh, had a band uh, together. We entered ourselves into the Battle of the Bands. And back then in Westland Plaza, which is uh, kind of West Jackson now, behind McRae's, you know, they would set up a a long trailer, and the bands would go out there and play live on the radio. Oh and, my gosh! Uh, we uh, were in a battle with the Webs and some other group, but that was uh, oh back in the times uh, that uh, Stephen Wolf was out there and uh, Deep Purple, and uh, we won second place in the doggone thing uh, by playing. Uh, you know, Born to be Wild and uh, uh, Magic Carpet Ride and stuff like that. So you were kind of doing the hits of the day, right? Whatever was on the kind of the top 20 kind of rock stuff? Yeah, whatever grabbed us. Uh, and I like that heavy rhythm stuff that Steppenwolf did. And uh, that uh, that's always been one of my favorite things uh, as far as the way that the uh, what we call the music pad sounds. If uh, if the thing's got a really good beat to it and everything, it'll grab you. And, you know, uh, that's the reason why people dance. So we would glean on to different stuff uh, and cover songs like that. Uh, it's a lot of fun, you know. Uh, then I figured out um, by playing rock and roll that girls like that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and... Uh, uh, that was a definite plus when I was a, uh, you know, teenager, uh, learning how to drive and, uh, playing in rock and roll bands and, you know, uh, worked out pretty well. You know, there was all time girls around and yeah, man, this is it here. <laughs> I done hit the big time. <laughs> Was it a big uh, difference going from, you know, learning those uh, bluegrass picking patterns to playing Steppenwolf and the, like, heavier, heavier rock stuff? Good bit of difference. Yeah. Um, you had to think in a different mode to do that. 
Uh, bluegrass is uh, uh, it's a blues-based music, but it's kind of like jazz. Uh, gives the players a lot of improvisation. Uh, rock and roll was still based out of blues, a heavier you know rhythm track and everything else. But uh, unless there was a particular part that you had to play, like we call it a signature lick or a signature phrase that, you know, was, uh, you know, with that song. Uh, you could pretty much get out there and solo and do anything you wanted to as long as you didn't get out of key. And uh, that was a major problem. You get excited and forget where you're at. <laughs> We're talking with Jerry Brooks today. He's a member of our artist roster at the Arts Commission, uh, and uh, he's a acoustic musician based here in central Mississippi, plays all over. Um, so with the, I, I know there was a lot of like, you, you mentioned the Gants, there were a lot of garage bands all, all throughout the country, but also who, who would go from doing the kind of gigs you're talking about, playing the country clubs and that, and put out a record and all of a sudden they were touring and they were on these package tours or whatever. Did you all ever have that ambition to like, we're going to record our own music or do any recordings, things Not like that? Not any of those earlier bands, um, um. Uh, that was way out of our league and everything as far as monetary uh, uh, stuff that would take to get into the studio and play that. What happened when I first got into college, uh, I hooked up with some guys uh, that were two lawyers, and uh, uh, they had a band called One Way Street. They had a hit that was a regional hit called If You're Looking for a Fool, Here I Am. And, uh, so they were attorneys? They said? were attorneys. Okay, yeah. but also singers. Yeah, also singers. Right. Yeah, good singers. And I learned how to sing close three-part harmony with that band and learning how to sing and blend with other people, which is a major part of uh, harmony. Uh, they would go play a lot. You just hitched the car up to the trailer, put their equipment in a U-Haul trailer. They even had a roadie. And we go, what? <laughs> a roadie does what? They to, well, they set your equipment up. All you got to do is go uh, tune up and play. Really? <laughs> yeah. So uh, uh, we did that. Um, and Was that, were they based here? or They okay. were based in Jackson. Okay. And uh, uh, one of the brothers I know is still an attorney over in Rankin County. And uh, I played with them pretty much all the way through college. Uh, and that was good money. Uh, and they toured old, uh, just the southeast. And so were you playing guitar with them as well and singing? or Played guitar and sang. Okay. And uh, the keyboard player would switch over to play an acoustic piano, and I would pick up the bass to learn how to, you know, play some stuff behind him and his big thing was imitating Jerry Lee Lewis and that was a lot of fun uh what kind but, of places do y'all play oh uh, we uh basically country clubs and that was uh the time when they had the uh the nightclub thing going on down on the Gulf Coast before it expanded like it is now um uh I think there was a uh, something like the Sun and Sand down there, some hotel that we played at, and there was uh, uh, several different places that were uh, big places that would bring in people to uh, guest, and uh, then you would play in between those people 
uh, you know, you kind of had to have a little bit of a name and a connection to get there, and they did. So we'd go play the things, you know, wake up the next morning, get in the car and drive back home. But usually it was like a Friday night or Saturday night thing. But uh, did that a lot. That was uh, So that was a big step up in terms of professional level experience yeah, for you. That was the first recording group that uh, I ever was with. And uh, they built a recording studio over in Rankin County, and we recorded a bunch of stuff over there. Uh, started me into the studio work that uh, I did for, heck, I still do studio work a little bit, you know. Uh, but uh, that led me into the production of, you know, an engineer and uh, playing with tracks and overdubbing. And this was a long time before Pro Tools. <laughs> right. Right. So you you went, you did this all through college. So you were still kind of what were you pursuing kind of at the college level? Well, uh, I was just going to college to go to college. But uh, um I couldn't get focused a whole lot on everything that was going on. I liked sciences um, and uh, started into a pre-med type deal, and that didn't work out too well. <laughs> uh, I didn't like cutting up stuff and seeing it bleed. Oh, geez, yeah. So after, so you kind of stayed in that kind of rock world, the rock and soul world, right? Kind of coming out of that, right. that vocal group. Yeah, uh, we had a bunch of uh, soul bands back at that time. We had a bunch of uh, uh, blues bands, and uh, you know, blues and soul pretty much the same thing. Uh, uh, there was a guy here named Stephen Anderson that uh, played regularly. Uh, we'd go to different studios and cut the tunes that he would do. He would do some different tunes of his own. He would do some uh, tunes like Dan Penn wrote. Uh, we'd do it here, uh, say at Malico or that at International Recording. Back then, there was a bunch of analog studios around here. But uh, to get with the, with the big guys that he wanted to uh, hang out with, we had to go to Memphis and uh, we'd go up there and record some. Um, but the... Uh, the genre back then was basically just uh, this funky, uh, soul, you know, danceable stuff and everything. Uh, and that that worked out pretty well. Um, I uh, got a chance to take my instrument uh, and kind of blend it into the stuff that they were doing. And uh, they liked it when I did that. Um kind of difficult sometimes to get in the groove uh, of some of the stuff that uh, they wanted to record, and some of it just didn't work. But uh, uh, that uh, that uh, uh, experience in the studio and everything uh, with working with different people, you know, gave you a whole lot of insight into, uh, you know, just what was going on out there in the big music world. But uh, played with a lot of blues guys, uh, who were some of the ones you played during that time period with? Well, uh, there was a uh, blues guy here uh, that uh, named Jerry Sailor that uh, we backed up a good bit. Um, so let me see. Uh, 
I forgot Sam's last name. Old black guy had real thick glasses and everything, and uh, backed him up for a good while. Um, did uh, some stuff in New Orleans with him, which was really scary. <laughs> uh, but uh, uh, the blues people around here, um, you know, had a lot of black guys doing blues, and uh, we would try to kind of copy those people. Uh, but, you know, we were white guys. They didn't, uh, didn't think we could to handle it sometimes, and we got out there and did it, and they said, yeah, okay, uh, these guys are cool. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, but uh, uh, that was back during the uh, days of uh, Sam Chapman, and uh, that uh, that sort of blues influence uh, kind of stayed with you because, you know, the music is basically all blues influ- influenced anyhow, unless you're a classical musician. You know, everything's one, four, five changes. You know, you can play that easy. Yeah. It's just what you do in between those changes is the trick. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. We're back for our final segment on the Arts Hour. I'm Larry Morrissey, and today our guest is Jerry Brooks. He's an acoustic musician based in central Mississippi and member of our Arts Commission's Artist Roster and uh, a recent Artist Fellowship recipient. Uh, so, Jerry, uh, one thing you'd mentioned to me, you talked a little bit about uh, in the last segment, but uh, doing some uh, working in the recording studios and right. kind of how you I want to hear a little bit more about how you kind of got, you know, more into that and some of the stuff that you did during that time period. Well, uh, like I say, the uh, beginning of the recording uh, era for me was uh, backing other people playing their songs at uh, different studios. Then um, this was, uh, oh, let me see, probably somewhere in the 80s or so uh, that there was a uh, huge business around this area of uh, doing jingles for people. You know, you go out and say, hey, would you like a musical jingle and everything else? And they would come to the studio, put together a uh 30-second or one-minute donut, as they called it then. We'd play music and then have a little time for the people to talk and then finish out with music. Did a lot of that stuff. There was a bunch of banks uh, and different uh, businesses that would uh, want something like that for advertisements. Uh, Did a lot of that stuff uh, out of Mississippi Recording Studios, which is basically what that studio was for. And it was, uh, you know owned by you know, Jerry Puckett and Ed Butler. Uh, did a lot of that there. And uh, more of that that would uh, uh, get recorded, your name would kind of get around, hey, uh, you know, phone to ring, uh, I need a guitar player to play rhythm behind this particular song. I need a banjo. Uh, I need a harmony vocal or something like that. And, you know, the phone would ring up and you go down there and, Cut it, put it back in the case, and go back home. It was a uh, it was a blast. I love playing in the studio. Still do. And it's just interesting to hear kind of that history of how active it was, though. Here in, we we still have Malico, but it kind of the that now everybody seems to record at their house. So it's like right uh, in the uh, recent era here, everybody's uh, you know got different recording suites like Pro Tools. Um, and Pro Tools is, uh, 
kind of hard to learn, but, uh, you know, you can do a lot of stuff with it. And uh, uh, so people will have that on their computer, uh, you know, sit there and record something, don't like it, you know, bang, you ain't got to erase the tape. All you got to do is hit, you know, delete, start over again. But uh, the digital era in recording made things a lot easier than it was in the analog era in the studios. It used to take a long time in the studios for the engineer to cut out certain parts that he didn't like or, uh, you know, just do his trick trying to clean up the track. Now it's uh, no big deal. Um, I have a, uh, a home recording, uh, I, I guess you'd call it a project studio. It's a digital. But uh, I that's where I record all of my demos and write songs. Um, but... Nowadays, instead of having big tracking rooms like they used to have in Memphis and Nashville, and Malico still has, has a big tracking room, so does Terminal. But uh, those are basically now only used for full live band uh, you know, production. They'll put a whole band in there, a whole orchestra, and record everything at one time, which is the way that they originally did it you know, way back there. You know, everything... Uh, Probably pre-60s was two-track stereo live, which, uh, uh, you know, digital made everything a lot easier. Uh, I, I love digital stuff, but it still didn't have the warmth of the analog. Right, right. Now, you had, uh, when we talked yesterday before the interview, you mentioned that kind of the disco era was kind of, when that came in, that was kind of like <laughs> yeah. created a big change for you in terms of what you were going to do. The disco era made me turn back to bluegrass and uh, acoustic music. I'd, uh, you know, disco was fine and everything was going like that, but uh, I just, you know, it didn't didn't impress me that much. It was a lot of uh, really kind of, I thought it was kind of fake sounding to begin with and everything, and then they started computer-generated tracks with all of the claps and everything else, and um, that kind of turned me off, and... and uh, I wanted to go back to something that was more real than disco, and um, I kind of turned back around into the uh, bluegrass type situation. First off, it, after the disco thing, I just you know quit trying to do that. We were playing country rock, and uh, that's about as close to uh, electric music as I have been in the last you know. Uh, last half of the century, I guess. But uh, the uh, uh, acoustic stuff, I started to realize that if you had an acoustic guitar, you had a banjo, you had a mandolin or a dobro or anything like that, if you could sit down and do it uh, you know, to performance level with any of those instruments, yeah, you didn't need all that other stuff. You didn't need all the amplifiers and fuzz tones and and different effects for the guitar and light strings and whammy bars and all like that. Plus, I didn't have to carry around all that equipment either. A lot easier on the back. A lot easier on the back. We're talking with Jerry Brooks today on the Arts Hour. He's a member of the Arts Commission's Artist Roster, acoustic musician, plays all throughout the state. Uh, so... 
uh, going into that, th- that was when you around the time. I'm, 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 there's a bunch. There's a long time frame here, but I just sure. let's let's mm-hmm. quickly let's get a few of the uh, highlights in terms of the band. We mentioned a few of them up top, but maybe a little bit more about some of those bands, the acoustic and bluegrass bands you played with. Well, um, the bluegrass bands I played with some of the bigger stars back when I was learning. Uh, uh, I sat in with Jim and Jess and the Virginia Boys, uh, played on different uh, radio shows with some of those uh, people. But the uh, the bands locally, I guess, Mississippi bands, uh, we started out with Delta Breeze uh, trying to go do festivals. Delta Breeze morphed into the Dog Band, which played uh, a bit of Django Reinhardt-influenced uh sort of what we call newgrass back then and uh, it was you know jazz swing played with acoustic instruments um and were then, you playing banjo or guitar in that or both okay. i was uh kind of a utility musician in that band i'd play uh guitar on some songs play banjo on some songs uh and uh that was uh you know kind of getting outside of the normal borders of uh, bluegrass, and that kind of pushed it a while. Uh, We took that band, and uh, uh, basically it morphed into uh, a group called the Mississippi Bluesgrass Review, which took a drummer, um, and Ken Shaw was one of the drummers and everything, but uh, uh, we put that acoustic band together with, uh, you know, uh, uh, say a blues guitar player. You know, we had Vastai Jackson sometimes uh, and uh, had an electric bass instead of an upright bass. Uh, and we tried to mold uh, the blues and the the soul stuff together with what we were doing, and it was kind of an experimental type thing. lasted about a year. Um, then uh, it, you know, evolved on into uh, the first stint of mine with the Vernon Brothers. Um, that was probably about nine years worth. Uh, quit a bit, uh, went into a, another profession. Uh, you know, they say don't give up your day job, so I, you know, started doing day stuff and everything, uh, playing music at night. Um, the, uh, well, let me see, uh, that went from uh, the Vernon Brothers into, um, we had Brooks and Baker band. Uh, David Baker and I had a band that, uh, matter of fact, Bill Ellison was the uh, bass player in it. <laughs> and uh, did that. Uh, <clears throat> the uh, next thing that came along after that band broke up and Baker moved away, we started Cricket Creek String Band, which is still together. We've been together now uh, probably, I don't know, nine years or so. And um, uh, and one day, uh, uh, Hal Jeans called me up and said, hey, we need some help. <laughs> and uh, started back playing with the Vernon Brothers. So that's two bluegrass bands. And now the latest thing that we put together is a, a two-piece thing and figured out that... Uh, uh, I wanted to play with an upright bass player and a guitar, you know, playing more stuff like we did on the Mississippi Blues thing, that tune. So uh, uh, that, um, you know, the two-piece thing is is, is kind of fun. And uh, if you get a bass player, 
really, you know, adept and can hang in there, you can even put the guitar down and play the banjo. So it's sometimes it's guitar and bass, sometimes it's banjo and bass. So that's the two-piece thing right now. So you've got these three groups. Where, where are some places that people would see you all? Where, festivals, clubs? Talk, talk about some of the particulars. Well, uh, tomorrow night we're playing uh, over at Trustmark Park at uh, one of our fairly steady gigs called the Alumni Grill. And that's a two-piece thing that uh, Jack Bill and I do. Uh, we, of course, play Howlin' Mouths uh, and with both the Vernon Brothers and the Cricket Creek String Band. Just got through last month and the very first part of this month doing the Shelby County Fair with the Vernon Brothers. Uh, that was an ordeal, and it's hot. <laughs> I say, how do you how do you make it through that? That's 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 a hot playing there. Huh? We take uh, a lot of fans. We take fans, and luckily it's undercover and everything. But uh, we've been fairly lucky that you know it'd be a breeze blowing and everything. But yeah. uh, you're playing in the middle of a horse racetrack and everything, and they're coming around with horses, and every time they do, they blow red dust up in your face. <laughs> And, and it it gets sweltering hot up there. Uh, we try to cool down as much as we can in between the little sets. They've got a uh, a ready room back there with an air conditioner. We go back there and suck on some oxygen. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, that's... Uh, All, the always glamorous life of the bluegrass musician, right? <laughs> oh, yeah. That's, that's something. But uh, luckily, like I said again, uh, you know, all we have to take is our acoustic instruments and set it up. They've got the microphones there and no amps to mess with or anything like that. Go do that. So you sound like you're out there at least, what, once a week, twice a week? You're doing pretty regular gigging, huh? This week we're playing three times, twice with a two-piece band and once with Cricket Creek. And then on down the line we've got uh, you know, gigs booked up all the way sporadically up into 2020. And um, so uh, with my daytime job, uh, which I do part-time now, and then uh, playing with these bands, I keep pretty busy. Sounds like it, yeah. You know, so it, uh, it's, it's an interesting life. Absolutely. Well, Jerry, uh, before we go, uh, if people want to learn more about your music, about your groups, where, where should we point them towards? Uh, biggest uh, thing I can point anybody towards um, is for uh, Cricket Creek and myself, you can go to the Mississippi Arts Commission touring pages. Uh, we're both on there. Um, and then Facebook. Uh, you know, the Cricket Creek String Band has got a Facebook page. Uh, I've got my own Facebook page. Uh, Jerry Brooks and Jack Beald has got their other uh, Facebook page, and we'll go out there and, you know, put uh, post out about where we're playing and everything. But Facebook pretty much is it right now. Uh, we haven't uh, delved into getting a real uh, web space or anything, but uh, Facebook tends to do all right. Plus, we've got an email list, and uh, we just tell people when they come to our shows, uh, hey, send us your email put it on a card up here or something like that and we'll add you to the list and all this stuff so we got probably 700 people on the email list oh that's great well thanks again for joining us we really appreciate it sure and uh for those of you who listened and you'd like to listen back to the show or you'd like to share it with a friend you can go to the mpb website mpbonline.org and 
they post all our past shows there as streaming files. And you can also download the uh, public media app, MPB public media app, and uh, receive it that way as well. Until next time, we'll be seeing you.